As we get settled in, go ahead if you have your Bibles and let's open them to Hebrews chapter 13 where today uh, we're going to look at another set of imperatives in this text that call us as believers to live differently in light of the truths that have been expressed Throughout the rest of this letter. Remember, uh, up until 13, we've seen some forms of imperatives, but most of it has been over and over again, this truth uh, about who Jesus is and what he's done and why those that are receiving this letter, hearing this sermon preached, uh, but also for us, why we should not turn away from Jesus, but we should look to him as the author and perfecter of our faith, instead of turning and apostatizing back to some, uh, whether it be uh, for those reading the letter, some form of Judaism, or for us today, some other form of salvation, because salvation is only found in Christ. Now remember, uh, these imperatives that we've been looking at are again uh, an imperative. All it is is a command. And, and these commands are, are not the result of, of a need for us to perform, to, to prove, or to provide a way for one to be made right before God. So, so as you hear these things, as we've looked at these things over the last couple of weeks and even moving into today, uh, we never want you to leave with a mindset that, okay, I have a list of to-dos so that I can make sure that I'm right before God. That, that's not what these imperatives are for. Rather, what they are are marks or the fruit of fellowship with Christ and how that fellowship leads disciples to obedience in all of life. Again, we've said this uh, the last couple of weeks, but our love for Jesus motivates our obedience to Jesus. Not the other way around. And you see, and not simply, not the other way around, but if you miss that, if you get that backwards, you miss the heart of the gospel. You see, you are not who you are. If you are a, uh, let me rephrase that, if you are a follower of Jesus, redeemed by the blood, you are not who you are by what you do or what you've done. You are who you are by what Jesus has done for you. But you see, because of what Jesus has done for you, that leads to you being radically freed up to live differently. And so the ways we've seen this thus far is that we are to have care and concern for the church. We are to have care and concern for or, or uh, this, this pursuit to, to honor and hold um, well uh, singleness and marriage. We are to live lives that are marked by generosity and hospitality. We are to have an understanding that those who have led us, poured into us, and discipled us are to be remembered, considered, and imitated. And then lastly, through it all, we are to look to Jesus who is the source and focus of our praise and sacrificial living. And so with those things laid out before us, what, what we're going to see today in just one verse, yes, we're looking at one verse today, is an area of gospel-motivated obedience that, that I believe is really needed in the local church, but is also a struggle in the lives of both leaders in the church and those who were part of God's family within the local church. 
You see, what often happens is we'll read this list of imperatives in Hebrews 13, especially the ones leading up to verse 17, and we'll say, okay, I, I, I like those, I, I enjoy those, I can press my life into those, even if it's a struggle, I will work through them. You see, what we get in verse 17 is oftentimes we read it and we push back against it. We, we push back, we, and, and that happens in two ways. Either we rebel against it because we just don't believe in it. We believe in self more than what the Word says. Or, you read verse 17 and maybe uh, immediately uh, some church hurt comes up. Some memories of being burned by leaders or hurt by leaders in the church arises in your heart. And so you say, no, 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 not again. And so today, what I want to do is I'm just going to press there a lot. And I'm going to call us each to what the, the, the Word is going to tell us to do. And so I want each of us to hear this today. The imperatives that are laid out in verse 17 today are really just two sides of the same coin. You see, so often, and we're going to get to the text here in just a moment, uh, a lot of times what this verse has been used, how this verse has been used is in unhealthy ways where leaders have, have tried to use it in authoritarian ways to say, okay, this is what you're to do, no questions asked. Follow me, do what I say, no questions asked. If, if you don't like it, get out. But on the other side, it's been used as a way to say, hey, look, I didn't see it good once, so I'm never going to submit to that again. And so really, these imperatives are just two sides of the same coin that when functioning together in healthy patterns, it leads to the fruit of righteousness. But when one or both sides are unhealthy, it leads to great dysfunction, pain, and it is a poor proclaimer of the gospel to the world around us. You see, we need both healthy shepherd leaders and healthy church partners that are all dependently following the lead of our chief shepherd, Jesus. And so with that said, today, uh, we are going to embrace the reality that the struggle is real, okay? Like, I just want to get that out there, that as we work through this, the struggle, the, the, the hard, the, the, the tendency and the temptation is to reject or fight back against or just leave it all behind. And so we want to know that that is the reality. You see, at times, we all struggle to follow, right? I mean, that's rooted in just... The depravity of man, like since the fall, man has tried to say, well, I like being the king or queen of my own life and building my own kingdom. But also, and again, I've already said this, we've all been hurt or burned by some who have demanded that we follow. But they didn't lead in healthy ways. And so while I want us to sit in that, I don't want us to stay there today. Well, I want us to, to hold that reality before us. Guess what? There is hope. There is good news. There is transformation to be had. Because I also hope that we see today that God's word not only calls us to something entirely different than what the world calls us to. 
What I mean by that is, man, in the, the, the world is always calling us away from this. The world is always, the temptation is always to live a life as an individual. Uh, man, particularly in our context, right? Like American individualism is what we're fed all the time, right? You do you. You do what you want. No one can tell you what you need to do. Like the culture over and over again in our day and time is trying to say, hey, you, you can decide your sexuality. You can decide your gender identity, right? Because it's all about you, the individual. But the scripture says, no, you don't get to. But guess what, church? We look at that, we scoff at that, we push back against that. And yet, when it comes to how we submit to and follow leaders in the local church, we say, no, I get to define what it means to follow a leader. I get to do this. I, it's like, no, no, God's word does. And it's messy and it's hard because we're broken and sinful. But guess what? In all of it, we're looking to Jesus. And so I believe that, that, that God's word gives us an entirely different way to live. And, and because he, the word does that, that by grace and the spirit's power, we have the ability to respond to the commands set forth in this verse today. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the responsibility of leaders in the church while also looking at the responsibility to leaders within the church. Again, two sides of the same coin. And so let me read our only verse for today. Hebrews 13, 17. Ronnie said earlier, it's only one verse. We're going to be out of here quick. And I said, well, you could be. Or it could go extra long, right? Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning or grumbling. For that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so on the heels of what we've already seen the last two weeks, the writer focuses in on the need for those in the church to follow those, to follow as those that are being led, while also laying out what I believe to be an implicit standard of leadership that should be a humbling reminder to those who find themselves in such a position. And there's two reasons I believe this. One, I believe that the writer puts this in here as another way to call those in the letter that is being written to and us today to heed local leadership in the church with greater weight than the voices outside the local church context. Now stick with me because I want to explain what I mean by that. First, I believe it's for the sake of the text. Well, what the writer's doing here is he's saying, hey, you have a lot of outside voices that are telling you, just turn back to Judaism. Just go back to those old things. And so what the writer does is says, don't heed the voices of so-called leaders that are calling you to leave the faith and prove yourself apostate. Instead, trust in those who are shepherding you and follow their lead. You see, also, I believe even as we think about that today, there's also a threat within the church to give greater weight to the celebrity or big name leaders in church culture rather than heeding the leadership in your own church context. Like I see this all the time. Like I also, like I, I can be guilty of this. You see, I, I think more and more 
And I don't think it was just because of COVID that this started happening. I believe it's always kind of been there. People connected to the church, people are connected to the church, but committed to a social media or celebrity pastor presence more than a commitment to the body that they're a part of and the leadership in it. Like people are connected, but not committed because guess what? What, what they're, it's, it's really easy on a Sunday morning to just say, oh, well, I'm not going to go to church today. I'll, I'll just watch Matt Chandler on TV, which is great. Like I love Matt, right? Like, like it's a phenomenal, but guess what? It's not like Matt Chandler, John Piper, JD Greer, that they are to be great influencers of your faith, but they themselves, and I believe that they would say this, they are not your leaders. They are not your leaders. Uh, along with that, I think what's even more scary is I could give you a, a list, a long, long, long list of really poor leaders on social media that are proclaiming and are presented in such a way because of the algorithm prefers their type of Christianity over biblical Christianity. And man, they, they are just feeding you stuff all the time. And so I could give you a long list. I'm not going to for time's sake today. But if, do the, like if you have a question like, hey, I've had people come to me and say, hey, what do you think about this leader? And I just have to honestly be like, eh, I, don't, I probably wouldn't follow him. You see, all those names I just said, good or bad, they don't know you. And because they can't shepherd you. Not only that, not only can't they, they're not called to. They can impact your walk. They can bring about fruit and change through their wisdom, passion, and vision. And that can affect your local church context, but they are not those that the text is focusing on here. But before we get to the who of what the text is actually talking about in terms of leaders and the lead, I want to begin by looking at the first imperative laid out in the text. The first section of verse 17 says this, obey and submit to your leaders. Now, now I want to answer some questions here regarding this, because I, I want to be both transparent, but also I want to really press the need for this in every local church. Specifically, Center Church. And so the, the questions I kind of want to answer this morning based on this text is, one, what does the text mean by obey and submit? Secondly, I, I, we've already kind of laid out the reality, like why is it such a struggle? And then I want to dig into the why behind why this is a need. And so what does the text mean by obey and submit? Because I don't know if you're like me, but there's been moments when I've read things like that. Maybe for you this morning, you heard obey and submit to your leaders. And man, alarm bells started going off. You started wrestling. Maybe uh, some past leaders or current leaders or the fear of a future leader began to just kind of rev you up a little bit. So what does the text mean by obey and submit? Well, I think the most simple definition I could come up with regarding these two imperative commands is to simply follow your leadership. Follow the leaders that have been placed in authority to lead the church and do it with a willingness that confounds the world around you. Now, now, again, I want you to stick with me there. You see, as the church, 
who according to scriptures to be led by spirit dependent men, elders, we are to allow, and this is where we, in terms of just kind of defining that definition a bit more, allow the leaders to lead. Trust in your leaders. Respond to their leadership. Encourage their leadership. Pray for them as leaders. Hold them accountable to their leadership. Now, now that can be very general because I believe that, that as we talk about what does it mean to uh, obey and submit to leaders, that can be very wide reaching. In the, in just the, the life context, right? Like, at parents, you're to lead your children up in the, in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Like, husbands, you're to lead your families, right? Like, uh, business people, you're to lead your business or those under you in a way that reflects the gospel, right? Not the bottom line. Center kids workers. Center students, like we all have the MC leaders, we all have these variety of capacities where we step in and say, okay, what does it look like for me to lead out in a way that reflects the gospel? But I believe specifically what it's talking about here is, man, it's talking about elders in the church. Follow, simply follow their leadership. Now we're going to get to the, we're going to flesh that out here in a bit. By looking at, if we understand that that's kind of simply what it means if we obey and submit, why is it such a struggle? You see, we hear this call and alarm bells might have started to ring for all of us in some way. And so I want to lay out that while we all have heard this, and even maybe understand it and believe it to be a truth, if we're honest, it is a huge struggle in the local church. And the reason I believe why, again, is two-sided. Because I believe there are two sides that present brokenness. You see, society, by and large, has been led throughout history by some really poor leaders who did not lead well, right? Whether through authoritarianism or apathy, we can all point to people in leadership, both inside and outside the church, that have led poorly. And I believe that the text last week that led us to this verse would argue that submission to those in authority is not to be be blind allegiance. You see, we are to follow leaders who are worth following. As we hear this verse today, don't follow unbiblical leadership that is unwilling to submit to the standard biblical leaders are to follow. Call them to more. If you see it, call it out in humility and grace. And do it. And don't shy away from confronting sinful leadership. There have been far too many churches that have burned down figuratively. That have been left in shambles and created tons of unneeded hurt and pain. Because no one would speak up when the leadership got out of control. If you don't believe me, just there, there's a podcast about Mars Hill, right? Like go listen to that podcast and you will see what happens. And there's one moment like it shocked me where uh, 
the pastor who's very authoritarian. He's not a leader that should be followed. Uh, they confront him in the moment and they say, you need some accountability. And so this is what they do. He's a mega church. They say, we want you, and their names keep coming up all the time. We want you to submit to Tim Keller and John Piper. And the guy says, I can't. And they said, why? And he said, well, my church is bigger than theirs. You don't follow that. Man, their church, like overnight, just dissolved. That's not what we're called to. And so today, like as you hear that, I also want you to think today, if you're in a position of leadership, I want you to wrestle with this question. Are you worth following? And in your leading, are you pointing people to the one that you follow? Again, as we looked at last week, man, we are to remember, consider, and imitate those that have impacted our lives for Jesus. And so as a leader, are you worth following? But I don't mean just following like, hey, come follow me because I'm me. The way we should lead is we should say, hey, follow me because I'm just leading you to Jesus over and over and over again. Don't look to me. Look to Jesus. And so when one has been led poorly in the church, when hurt happens by a leader, because guess what? All leaders other than Jesus will fail you. And so we can't place perfection as the standard. Rather, we look for gospel-driven humility and leadership and a willingness in the leader to repent and pursue reconciliation when they are wronged or have been wronged. But you see, when one is led poorly, what happens? Well, what I've seen, what the tendency is, is that when people get hurt within the church, is that they can carry that wound and they don't allow anyone to lead them again. They've been burned, they've been hurt, and they never allow God to, to heal them, to, to change, to even recognize, maybe even, maybe they brought something to the table in that hurt. And they say, no, no, I'll be a part of the church, but I'm never going to be led by anyone in the church. That's something we did when we planted the church eight years ago is as we kind of set our core team up. If someone came to Haley and I and sat down, we would commonly have dinner or coffee or something with them. And they would say, hey, we, we think we want to be a part of your core team. We say, oh, that's awesome. But before you, like, you, you can join our core team, if you are a part of a local church here, you, you need to go let them know kind of the, either that, man, you believe God is calling you into this or God is calling you into this, but there are some Maybe some, there's some hurt and pain and issues that get some things that you need to seek, at least try to seek reconciliation on. Because guess what? If not, like, you're gonna bring all, like, you're already, we're, we're all gonna bring baggage in, right? But you're gonna bring that into this, and it, it's probably not gonna go that great. And so we have that side of things where leadership has uh, done things poorly and hurt, but also our pursuit and hunger for individualism has stunted our ability and willingness to be led. Again, it's two sides. And I think that, that this isn't even just within the church. Like this is something that's just kind of our nature. Like it doesn't take long. You don't have to teach kids to want to be the boss, right? Right? 
Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't tell you, like, probably in the rooms right now, somebody's like, I'm the boss. And another kid's like, no, I'm the boss. Right? You ever watch kids, like, or grow up playing follow the leader? It sounds real great. It lasts like a minute and a half, two minutes. And then it's total anarchy. Because guess what? Whoever's leading, those following get tired of following them. Because they think, well, I can do it better. I can skip better than they can. I, I can do it better or, man, they offended me by the way they looked at me. They know I can't do that certain thing. So guess what? How about y'all come follow me? Let them go do their thing. And then it's everyone's trying to be the leader, right? And then just it's just brutality and viciousness and fighting and yelling and screaming and you're not coming to my birthday and, you know, all that stuff. Like we we remember it because we did those things. Maybe we still do those things. It just doesn't look like follow the leader. You see, this has developed in the lives inside the church preferring, uh, of people preferring the title of leader found in Scripture as a label for elders. Because I believe, again, this text is specifically talking about elders. But not allowing it to really have biblical function and role in their lives. You can have the title of Elder or pastor or uh, leader, but don't you better not step into that role. Let me here's just a few examples of the way that I've personally seen either this said or said with just responsive demeanor. You can lead me, just don't lead me. Maybe another way to say that is you can lead me, just don't lead me unless you lead me when I want and how I want. But guess what? Like if that's the parameters you're putting on the leadership in your lives, who's really leading? You are. Here's another one. Don't tell me how to live my life, what my purpose is or why I am to live a certain way. How dare you? Make me feel good. Pat me on the back. Let me come check the box. But don't press in to to my sin patterns, to my selfishness or anything of that sort. This one kind of goes along with it. How dare you call me to that? When you call out my sin, all you're doing is judging me, Kyle. I've literally heard that. Guess what? Maybe sometimes. I, I, I believe that there were probably times where it was more judgment than it was truth and love. But I do know that most of the time when people cl- what people claim to be judgment is really just conviction and accountability that they refuse to submit to. And so as we hear about this, As we hear about all this brokenness, it begs the question, why is submission and obedience to leaders in the local church needed? Well, we find a couple of reasons in the text that also lay out more imperatives for both the leaders and those who are being led. First, in the text, we see that leaders, according to the text, keep watch over your souls and will have to give an account for their leadership. 
So leaders, according to verse 17, are to be allowed to lead because they have been given a call that produces in them or should produce in them a deep heart for the souls that they shepherd. That term for to keep watch literally means to keep oneself awake. It's to lose sleep over it. It reminds me of, of Jesus in the garden, who is, again, the perfect leader. And he's praying. And what do the disciples do? They keep falling asleep. He's like, don't, don't fall asleep. You don't understand. Like, I'm in distress. Like, stay up with me a little while. You see, for leaders, like, they, they, have, a, they have a heart for the sheep. It keeps them awake. I think this is... Both beautiful and this text is both beautiful and a bit terrifying for the for those in those positions. The first reason I think it's beautiful is because it shows that they care about you. Biblical leaders that are submitted and dependent upon Jesus care about you. So next week we're going to be installing. Three new elders in the life of Center Church, right? Praise the Lord. It's been a long eight years and I'm so excited to have a plurality. And I can tell you this, that Jeremy, Nathan, Ronnie, who are going to be installed next week, caveat, show up, be here. But them, along with myself, like we have hearts for you. Are we perfect? No. Do we miss it? Yes. But we care deeply about you and we want to see you grow as a disciple that bears much fruit. We, we, we don't care about you just because we think, oh, they could do this for the church. No, we care about you just because you're a, a human made in the image of God. And so may our hearts always live uh, in that dependent mindset that says, no, may God, may we be so connected to the, the, those in the church that you've called us to lead and shepherd that, that we might even that may, we might even lose sleep over them. You see, the second reality relates to the next part of that text. It says they keep watch over your souls and will have to give an account for their leadership. Man, that's terrifying. You see, the reality is that we understand that those in this type of leadership will have to give an account for how we led you as shepherds. You see, the title elder is not just a title that we want to lord over the church. It's a power grab for authoritarian submission. Rather, this is a weighty thing that each of us are being called into. I mean, we hold it as such. I forgot to ask, but I don't think he'll care. Um... Hopefully not. If, if he does care, then I'll just repent later. Uh, but uh, when, when we first asked Ronnie to be an elder, I called him and I said, Hey, I, would you be willing to go through a process uh, uh, to where we look at your, uh, your character, your theology, and your life? Uh, and would you submit to that process in the hopes that you might become an elder? And he said, Well, I'll pray about it. And then he got back to me and he said, Kyle, you know, I, I'm uh, two things. One, I'm honored, but say, I'm terrified. He said, that's, that's a big thing, Kyle. I said, well, it sounds like you're the one for the job. 
If you were like, yep, I'm going to crush it. I got this. Why don't you let me lead the class? Be like, wait, let's have another conversation. This is a heart that realizes like, man, not only is this a weighty thing and that, man, we're caring for the souls of people by the grace of God and by his power. Because guess what? We can't change anyone. Also, in that, we have to be dependent because guess what? We will give an account one day for the way we lead. Like everyone will stand before God, but those in leadership, specifically as an elder, as an overseer, they will stand before God and we will have to give account for how we led. Not everyone has to do that. See, this is a weighty thing that when submitted to in humility, uh, as you realize that, as you all hear that today, what that should do, if that's the response of, of biblical eldership and those that lead the church, what the church should then do in response is by willingly allowing them to care for your souls. Guess what? Being an elder is not glamorous. Oftentimes it is thankless. And much of the time, they are called to bear a weight, to receive hurt, and to take the shot so you don't have to. And some of those shots are probably um, how do I want to say this some of it some of the confrontation and things are things that we need to hear and repent and change but sadly a lot of those shots that we tend to bear are it's just a lot of friendly fire And so we get this picture and what that leads to is the last set of imperatives regarding the responsibilities of leaders and the church's responsibility to those who lead, which is that healthy submission to biblical leadership leads to joy and is of great advantage to the church and its mission. For the text states that those in the church are to let them lead with joy and not grumbling. Again, there's two sides to this imperative. First, leaders who do not lead with joy, but are always grumbling, are not healthy and should wrestle with whether or not they need to be leading. Healthy leaders are to lead out of an overflow of the joy that comes from simply following Jesus. Again, the leader's joy is an overflow response to the love that Jesus have for the, has for them. They are loved so they lead, not that they lead so that they might be loved by God. And then for the church... Biblical obedience submission to leadership in the church bears fruit in the leader's lives so that they might lead with great joy, which means that while problems may arise, we need to address them in ways that are filled with concern and not marked by grumbling. You want to know one of the greatest ways you can kill the joy and heart for shepherding in the lives of those leading you? Constantly grumble and complain without being willing to step into the mess and seek change and transformation alongside them. I've seen it. Church group put out that I think like 40% of pastors since like 2020 have sought to leave the ministry. 40%. And a lot of it was due because they could never be right. They answered one way, they were wrong. If they answered the other way, they were wrong. If they didn't answer, they were wrong. 
If they prayed and said, we're, let's just read the script. They were wrong. And they said, you know what? I'm done. So hear this. People are the best. Okay. Like I love people. Like there's nothing that man causes my heart to flourish uh, than, than to be able to sit down with someone and hear their story and, and, and press in and pour into their life. I love it. People are the best, but they're also the hardest to lead. Myself included. And so please allow those leading you to lead with joy by not grumbling. And please hold those in leadership to the standard of leading out of their joy so that they lead out of deep conviction and not complacency and complaint. Again, two sides. Both need to be healthy. Both need to be healthy so that we might flourish. And then we get the why. Well, the text says this, not doing so is of no advantage to anyone. And so I want to think about the scope of anyone. Let's begin with the leader. Burnout is real. Pastors are leaving in droves to live lives as just simply disciples in the business world. Much of being due to the brutality of those they lead. But secondly, the anyone is the church. And God has placed leaders in your life for your advantage. So take advantage of it. Flourish by following, obeying, submitted in ways that grow your love for Jesus and encourage those leading you in their love for Jesus. Again, it's not blind submission, it's biblical submission. But then also, it's of no advantage to the lost. It's of no advantage to the lost world that we're called to proclaim good news to if we're only ever marked by infighting, authoritarian leadership, and or an unwillingness to ever follow those in leadership. May we live in such a way as the church that people catch a glimpse of what it means to follow Jesus in the way that we lead and are led in the church. May we lay down our individualism for the sake of the body of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel to a world that is in desperate need of transformative community. Man, guess what? The world around us does not know how to be led. Right? Like we see it all the time. We're like, oh my God, maybe this will fix it. Maybe this. No, it never does. Because guess what? They don't have the hope that we have. Man, but my, my fear is that, man, oftentimes the church looks just the same. We are no better news. Although we have the better news. The question is, are we willing to just submit to it and just say, okay, God. Again, in all of it, we're looking to you. You are the chief shepherd. No one and no earthly authority stands above Jesus. That's why here we don't have a lead elder. Jesus is the lead elder. He is the chief shepherd. And so how do we respond to this? I think in a couple of ways. First, today, are you willing to obey and submit to those in leadership over you? Now, You may say yes, but I'll say this. You can't do that and be unconnected to the life of the local church. I don't believe it's possible. Because I don't believe it's fully submitting to leadership. Commit to the local church and its leaders willingly and with joy. Deal with your church baggage. Seek healing, reconciliation, and be a person who forgives instead of grumbles. And with that, I'll say this. Man... 
if you've been here for a while and you've been a part of basics, but you've never taken that step, like part of that is taking that step of partnership and saying, you know what, I'm going to partner here. Are we a perfect church? No way. But man, part of you is just saying, okay, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to step in. And so today, for those in leadership, today, if you're an elder or elder candidate or whatever capacity you're leading in in life, be it parenting or uh, marriage or business, are you leading out of joy? And if not, I encourage you to seek counsel, accountability, and support if you're not. Secondly, are you leading out of humble submission and in humble service to Christ and His bride, the church? And then lastly, again, are you worth following, not because of who you are, but because of who you follow? Again, in all this, we run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who calls us into relationship with Him, who draws us near to the Father and then calls us into the local church so that we might bear much fruit. And then lastly, I pray that we might be a church that leads and follows well so that we might be a place of unity and hope to the world of division and despair around us. We have better news. And one of the greatest marks that we can show that in is how, how we walk in unity together as the church. And so I'm going to have the team come back up and I want to invite you to respond. There's two ways we're going to respond today. Maybe you need some time to, uh, man, process and, uh, and maybe even lay down some of the things that some of the baggage uh, that, that maybe you carried in here today regarding uh, hurt or or pain or uh, for a lack of forgiveness or whatever it is and lay those things before the feet of Jesus. Maybe today there needs to be some repentance that needs to happen in your heart for the way that you've responded or pushed back against leadership. Maybe today it's. You need to cry out, God, that you would give me a deeper joy for the local church and for what it means to lead. And then if you're a follower of Jesus today, we also want to invite you to come and share in communion as we remember our chief shepherd, Jesus, who came and gave of himself fully. Who before he was betrayed and died on the cross, stayed up. He was kept awake because he was so burdened with the reality of what was to come the cost that it would take. And so I want to invite you that Nathan and Matt, if they would come forward, they'll be up here to present the elements. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd ask that you abstain, uh, not for the sake of, uh, of counting you out or, or, or setting you aside. I'm just saying, hey, we, again, believe this is costly. And we, we uh, as the church, take this in remembrance of what Jesus has done. But if you want to know more about what Jesus has done, I'd love to talk to you about that. And so I'm going to pray for us and then you can come forward and they'll present you with the elements. You'll take a seat and then I'll lead us in the sharing of communion. Jesus, we thank you now that you are the perfect model of what a leader is. God, I also thank you that even in the midst of the failures of the past, present, and that which will be the future until you return, God, that you are the good shepherd that sits in all authority and power. You are the leader of leaders. And that we can look to you at all times. And may we always look to you. But God, also we know that you've given us the bride. We, we are a part of the church, the family of God. And, and within that, you have set up You have formalized leadership. 
You've called elders to be put in place. And so, God, we pray now for those that will be installed next week, God, that you would protect them, that you would provide for them, that you would encourage them. And, God, that we as a church would be unified in that. That those who lead in whatever capacity would lead in humble submission and service to you. And those who are being led would, would be led in humble submission and service to you. And God, in doing so, that we would proclaim the better news of the gospel to the world around us. And so we ask for strength. And we ask for you to heal broken areas from our past. I pray that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen.